The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Fucking... Welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. I am your host, JP John Paz. And with me again today as we're doing our continuous series here, Who Is? And today we'll be talking about who is the best technical wrestler of all time. We have Mr. Not-A-Tech Guy, Mr. HMG, Mr. TMPT, Mr. RBV. What's going on, Rick? Uh, glad to be back here again on Who Is? Uh, yes, and Who Is? The at the real RBV. It's me, it's me, the art of B to the V, Richard Bronson Vickery. Hey, you know, this one, I've had a lot of fun with these series that we're doing. It's been now it's dubbed the Who Is. But when we when you threw this topic out there, pause, the tech guy. Uh, I mean, was this a jab at me? Because I'm, I'm I've been dominating the conversation up to this point, you know, with my with my incredible debate prowess that you had to go. You, you know, I'm about the personas, the storytelling, telling the larger than life aspects of pro wrestling. So you just had to go right to the core elements, didn't you? To, to the tech stuff. Absolutely. We had to do that. But also, of course, joining us, the third man in the booth, the doctor himself, Michael Dr. Chargo. Chargo, how are you doing today? I'm doing, man. Uh, 203 Studios still under construction. But, you know, I am actually in the room where the 203 Studios is going to be erected. So uh, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, I, I think we have a, a pretty good idea of where we're going today. And as I told you gentlemen off air, I think this might be the first show where we all agree at the end of who is the best technical wrestler. Uh, that's, technician. That's, that's a lot of pressure. Uh, now, pause. can you give us some parameters? Are, are we talking, is this open any era? Are, are we looking at certain styles? What, so what to, me, to me, to be the greatest technician of all time and be that best technical wrestler, it could be any era. It doesn't matter because there's been great technical wrestlers of all generations. I have a few that are going back old school and we're talking 1970s, uh, maybe even late 60s being a great technician. I'm going to mention a couple of those. But really, those guys with that technical prowess. I hate to you know give away a name here, but the guy who is an excellently executor, if you will, somebody who can do the moves, do the holds, makes the other guy look better, but they're really, really in the ring, steps up a notch. They know the holds. They know the submissions. They know where to be, when to be, how to do it, the footwork. They are just the best technicians. It could be 
to me anyway, the best technicians could be how they're selling certain moves. So that could be a uh, play a part into it as well. But as far as technicians, to me, it's those guys that are the real masters of the craft. And like the, the great book, the wrestlers, wrestlers, they talk about that in that book as well. Um, with young and Murphy, those guys check out that book. I believe it's on Amazon still, of course, probably dominating the rankings. But to me, it's those guys that are just really, really great in the ropes, in the ring, at the technical side of the business, executing the moves, knowing the holds, doing them properly, not being lazy about it, not putting on half-assed moves. I mean, these guys may work as a stiff, snug style, could be in that genre, but to me, they execute everything perfectly. Uh, one of the, you know, one of those, you know, I, I guess talking points, things we're looking at that resume that you pointed out there, Paz, that already stands out to me that I can tell when I'm going to make my call, my judgment, is how well do they make their dance partner look? I think that's something of very, of the highest, utmost importance to go into consideration. One guy who I am going to throw out right off the top of the show, because he's not on my list, but Rick and I were talking about this off air. And I think when, when I think of technical wrestlers, about half of the guys on my list today were all trained by Stu Hart. So I think Stu Hart is probably the man to talk about. But of course, I've never seen any Stu Hart matches. I'm sure Rick has never seen any Stu Hart matches. Pods, have you ever seen any nope. Stu Hart matches? Oh, I have but I but I think we can go off of resume and say the answer to this question is probably Stu Hart. But let's talk about some guys that you know maybe we actually saw wrestle. Right. And of course, speaking of Stu Hart, I was saying excellence of execution and that obviously means Bret Hart any conversation even the you know the dumbest of marks and you know the, the the worst fans in the world would even say man that guy was a great technical wrestler he just had that ability had that knack he was always in the right place at the right time Gorilla Monsoon even when Bret wasn't getting a big push loved saying he was the excellence of execution he would always point out he was so crisp. Everything he did was so right. And not necessarily where it looks a little soft. There's some wrestlers that did some moves that were good technically and always looked soft. Brett always looked like, man, it was a struggle out there. It was a real match. He really knew how to lay it out, put on the moves correctly, excellently execute everything he did. I just thought, man, like it's just technician as far as that goes. The first guy I wrote down, the first guy on my list, it's the first guy I always think of when I think of the best technical wrestlers. I'm sure Rick is going to say Warrior or is there somebody crazy of that elk, but let's stick with Bret Hart here, Rick. Bret Hart as one of the great technical wrestlers of all time. Uh, I, you know, he's in the conversation, obviously. We're, we're going to run through a gauntlet of incredible names. When you look at Bret Hart, though, I mean, going back to Stampede coming in, uh, it, it was obvious. I mean, I mean it's in his blood. He's coming from the dungeon. They will go back. We're talking immediately about Stu, one of the sons there. Now, as we're having an argument about the, you know the greatest technicians in professional wrestling, I mean, we can have a spinoff show about the greatest technician with the last name Hart. You know, some that didn't get an opportunity to shine on a stage that Brett did for as long as Brett did. Uh, but I don't want to necessarily take that away from him because you got to work with what you're given, what's in front of you, the opportunity, and immediately. From going back to uh, damn near day one when he got that call up, when he's going to the big time with the WWF, if he was 
working singles on that mid to low card, if he was in a tag, they depended on Brett to go out there and make his opponent shine. And, and you know, early on in his WrestleMania, he would do that in battle royals where he would make a handful, make an entire ring full. Some of them NFL players that had no idea what they're doing there. They're there because of that name value, that spectacle. And Brett would go out there and make them look incredible. And he truly did that coming up from curtain jerking to finding a way through the tag teams to breaking out on his own as an independent. And it was all at that core, his technical prowess, how he understood how to, to relate that match where it didn't need to look like it was just absolutely crisp chain wrestling. As you said, pause, it looked like a legitimate struggle of real fight. Dr. Jargo, you thinking about Bret Hart? Was that name on the, on your list? Not only is that name on my list, he is number one on my list. The excellence of execution, the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. But as Rick was saying, number two on my list is Owen Hart. Um, because I'm not even sure that Brett was the best heart in his family. Owen, as far as the technician goes, is so seriously underrated. And there are so many guys from back in that era that you look at, who was your favorite guy to work with? Owen Hart. Who were all your best matches against? Owen Hart. Owen was so freaking good if we only would have got to see more of his career. But I think those two guys, they are number one and two on my list. Also with Brett, just going back to him for a second, you think about favorites and matches and stuff. He could have a good match with anybody. If you go back to King of the Ring 93, he basically, okay, he's going to have a match with Razor, which is going to be a completely different match. Razor, big man, going to have a different style match. Then you go to Perfect, who's going to be the technician. You're going to have a great match there, uh, which is going to go you know, uh, to over 20 minutes. And then you go for Bam Bam Bigelow, who's another big man. You're going to have the completely different type of big man match so when you're a great technician you can go in one night and have three separate matches that are completely different that are all great because you know you're the you're the guy kind of calling the shots you're creating the match you're setting up the match you know where these guys need to be you know how to make them look good you know how to make them look better so to me it's always when i think of like okay who's this guy's best match usually it comes up that it's bret hart because he's such a good technician and he's so sound in his wrestling that he literally has such a great base he can do anything with anybody and he just knows how to make the match better and make it look great and yeah. no disrespect to glenn gilberti who has the second greatest working punch in the history of the business the simplest wrestling move in all of history in fact i think it was on jericho's list like six different times right hand punch bret hart had the best looking working punch in the history of the business in fact i'm not even entirely sure they were working punches there you go likely weren't you know when it goes to owen it, it, we go back and look especially early on what what was so dynamic about owen is he could work with those multiple styles because you got to remember very very early on he was one of those that went out there and wowed people with you know off the top flips you know, the high flying style that we weren't used to where you'd seen, you know, someone like Brett who mainly just kept it to a ground and pound uh, would work, you, uh, you know, inside now. But Owen went out there to wow. He, and you could tell he was looking to define his own style. And also when Owen came in, you have got just not Brett there. You got a handful of some other just incredible technical workers 
that they're going to rely on. So Owen's got to look at, okay, I got to find my niche. I got to get my own spotlight here. I got to learn the fly. Uh, speaking of Owen, got the rest of soul just yesterday, 22 years since his passing. But, you know, it. you have, you know, the top two to come to me. I mean, you've really got who's out there working and there's numbers. You've got Brett there. You've got, you got heading, you got perfect. So, if those are your top two, where where are you coming in at? You got some other great guys when you get down to the technical ability, maybe get overlooked like a rude or something like that. So it, he, it took him a while that where he could showcase really that technical side of his game. Hilariously enough, number three on my list is Kurt freaking Henning. I mean, we, we've said his name a couple of times here. Going back to, you know, the Hulkamania brother era of professional wrestling, I was a huge Mr. Perfect Mark, mostly because he could actually go out there and have a wrestling match that Hulk Hogan didn't seem like he could have. We now know that he could have. He just chose not to. But how freaking good was Kurt Henning? And how was Kurt Henning never the WWF champion? For the love of God. He's one of those mystery guys. We could have a whole show like, who should have been champion? And why wasn't he? Yes. Was it a lot of timing? You know, he really yeah. didn't need it on his rise up. He was the guy to go out there, make people look good. And even going back prior to that, when you're talking about being a champion, so forget he was a world champion in the AWA. And, you know, they had something incredibly special there. You really got to look at what what was really, what began to, to take seed. It was really starting to shine in the AWA, and they just couldn't cultivate it. I mean, that was the difference between Kurt Heading. You know, as a great technical wrestler, looks like a million dollars. Every everything that you would really want in a professional wrestler back then. But then Vince simply saw that marquee, that that shine of Mister Perfect, and it went to a whole new level with him. In the pairing with Bobby Heenan, I you add Bobby Heenan to any act, and immediately the act gets better. Yeah, no, no, no just no. everything about it there. I mean, it was just the, the perfect well, compliment. And the perfect compliment. I see what you did there. Um, but the other thing was, it was very like CM Punk, Paul Heyman, right? Like, it, it's not like CM Punk needed Paul Heyman to talk for him. Mr. Perfect was a great talker to begin with. But then on top of Bobby Heenan and the two of them playing off of each other, it's just some absolutely perfect work. I think it was. It goes really more beyond what you know, the dynamic between Heyman and Punk were. It was just that wordplay thing because you got somebody like Kurt Heading. He is Mr. Perfect. I mean, look at the athlete. You know what he could go out there and do. He didn't go out there and take them bumps and get that heat from him. So he, you know he wouldn't have to really you know look so bad. And it, what, what the hell? What was his run there where he didn't lose? You know, over Listen a year. Yeah. Well, and you know, I, I look at guys like Dolph Ziggler. And I think, you know, in another era, he could have been Mr. Perfect. Like, right. they're just absolute bump machines, complete technicians that can go out there and make anybody look good. But, you know, Mr. Perfect in a modern day WWE context would probably be Dolph Ziggler with the stupid 50-50 booking. With Perfect, he's such a, like, obviously, great worker, great technician, could have a good match with anybody, bump around. But it's funny that not WWF, he was a world champion in the AWA, not a WWF champion, because 
Hogan had that prolonged run, but to me, it makes the title that much heightened that you can actually list awesome guys that weren't champion. Like this day and age, everybody's the champion. So it, it, it makes the title that much more important. Like, oh, Hogan held it for four years. Oh, Savage had it for a year. Warrior had it for six months. I mean, it makes it obviously uh, more important, but those kind of under the radar technical guys necessarily Arn Anderson of the world, even like a guy, not a Brazier Mund, not really a great technician, but great hand and, and a great worker. He was never world champion. So those guys, it's just Jake the Snake, another guy. I mean, these guys just kind of stick out as not being a world champion, but perfect. Uh, didn't really need it. Obviously, great intercontinental title runs. That's what I was going to say. I yeah, mean, maybe he didn't need that world title. Well, it, it's, it's, it's such a shame that in today's era, in today's professional wrestling landscape, that you can't appreciate what someone like Perfect did with the mid-card title because they have been so devalued now. But back then, it was prestigious. I mean, it, They were headlining it was, house shows. Yeah, you were carrying that second tour. And you know what? Back then, you were known as, you know, what we'll talk about here, kind of in that workhorse. Well, and the Intercontinental title forever was known as the workers' title. You know, they'd go out and they would headline sh the house shows with the Intercontinental Championship because Hogan wanted to be the match before intermission so he could get the hell out of there, brother. That's not how Pritchard tells it. What do you mean? How does he, how does he tell it? Because that, well, is, that is the story. No, he wanted he, to get out of there before intermission. No, no, no. Come on. It's marketing. What you do is you're making these towns. You get Hogan out there, you get people excited, you have him kind of get screwed over, then you got the return bout, you got the ticket office opening intermissions through the rest of the show, you're selling them okay. tickets to get them back in. Makes sense. Plus, sometimes Hogan, Hogan had to work that second town, so he'd be the main event of the one town, they fly him out, and he'd be the main event in, in, in the second town. So intermission main event to regular main event. But yeah, it's a good point, but, uh, Brother Brucey there, that's a good point. Um, as far as some other great technicians, just to keep the list moving on here, Next guy listed, the Crippler, Chris Benoit. Great. Did you steal my list, Paz? Yes. Yes. Benoit, next on my list for sure. I actually had him ranked higher than Perfect and Owen and just below Brett on mine, but that's just me speaking here. Benoit, another guy. Man, throw him in there with anybody. You were intrigued, interested. I don't care if whatever just watch WCW back in the day crowds like this okay benoit match they're like kind of like okay let's get into this could be wrestling anybody from the flock or whoever booker t finley whoever all of a sudden by the end of the match they're up they're up they're staying they're, they're getting into it i mean he's one of those guys you always get the respect clap after the match they were always so into him face heel whatever just because he was so damn good in the ring so technically sound everything he did looked like he it hurt no wasted motion no wasted movement no fooling around um, no stupid crap. If he would do a taunt, you know, he'd do the neck thing, which is awesome, or something to get the crowd really kind of into it. To me, such a great technician. One of those guys, literally just throw out anybody, pick anybody from the roster, WWE, WCW, anywhere he worked. The guy was going to have an awesome match. Arguably could probably going to have the match that night. Jargo? I Chris Benoit also number four on my list, but he, Chris Benoit is the first guy that I have a slash and then another name afterwards, which is Dynamite Kid, because I feel like both of those guys very much the same wrestler. It was almost like the Chris Benoit story was kind of the, the, the continuation, right? Um, both of those guys, to me, and the reason I had Benoit four is to play off of Rick's kind of cup of tea. Like, I'd never felt like Benoit had the promo. 
I would never get that invested into the Benoit programs until it was later on inside of his WWE career when he would start telling more emotional kind of stories. But you always knew that Chris Benoit was going to go out and have the best match of the night. I loved watching Chris Benoit matches. I just didn't necessarily care about Chris Benoit for most of his career. He was just that guy that was going to go out and have a really good match. And to look back on his work now, I can't even do it. I cannot bring myself to watch Chris Benoit matches. And unfortunately, I guess that kind of pushes him down the list to number four for me. All right, when, it, when it comes to Benoit, he's right up there with one of the, the overall points I wanted to have during our discussion here. When we reflect back and when fans talk about greatest technical wrestlers, so many times, those that receive that praise, that focus, it's simply because that's all they brought to the table. And to me, in pro wrestling, to be successful, you've got to be dynamic. You've you have got to have that larger than life personality. You got to be able to get out there and emote. You got to be out there and tell, you know, bigger stories than just your body language inside of that ring. So somebody even like a Benoit is a dynamite kid. You know, to me, the awe, the draw, the star power back then was Davy Boy because he looked like a million bucks and he, and he had the dog, you had the, you know, with him. The bulldog was in Matilda. Mm-hmm. You've got the dog there. And then, yeah, you're going to go out there and you're going to get the work rate. And inside the match, you're going to think, well, you know, you're looking at this, the incredible things that Dynamite's doing. But who was the sell? You know, who is putting, who are you putting on the poster? It was Davy Boy. And it's the same with, and I feel, you know, a lot of people thought, oh, you know, you're, it took so long for people like Benoit, the Malenkos, to get their just dues. No, I feel that was appropriate. And that that short and sweet run that he had on that WrestleMania there, that was a tremendous payoff, a tremendous tool. But still, to elevate it, to bring that star power, to really take that moment to where it should have been, because I think of his lack of true charisma, you had to include DX in it, or, you know, Michaels and in, in H. In well, I, I feel like the thing with Benoit was he was so good so early that we saw him very, very early on. And we just literally watched him grow into that performer. He had the technical prowess, which got him on the card. And we watched him progressively work his way up. So I, we, we kind of view Benoit in a little bit different kind of a vacuum. I, I feel like. With him, I feel like I was always into him. I was always into his matches. Like, man, this guy, I want to, I want to see him wrestle. Like that Booker T best of seven. I know WWE copied it because it was so good, but they did in WCW. That was one of my favorite things and one of my highlights. I was just very into that, uh, watching WCW. Just, I don't know. And whenever he was in the card, it always kind of stuck out to me. He's like, oh, he's wrestling Ming tonight. But I would be like really intently paying attention. Oh, he's got Raven. Oh, he's got DDP. Like, I was just always into Benoit. He was just so good, so crisp. And he never made it look like, oh, this is fake or something. Like Even when he's having wars with Sullivan, he was just so damn good. It's like, man, this guy could wrestle any style and just be awesome at it. And I think that's what made him stand out so much in WWE was because his style was so different than the WWE style. When you go back and you watch like the early days of Benoit, even most of his WCW run, he was in there with guys that were on his same kind of level when it comes to that technical prowess. Whereas when he got into the WWE, it was something completely different because his style was so not the WWE style. And you wanted to see those guys go out and have a Chris Benoit match. 
I like when you know, just when it came to main event, yeah, they, they put together a, a masterful story at that point. People did care. I just didn't see a whole lot of shelf life. I, I mean, there's nothing wrong with being a tremendous hand. It, it takes all sorts up and down the card to make it work. And that's just always how I felt about Ben Wilder. I think it, and he's one of those people. But it didn't that, feel out of place when he finally got there. You know what I mean? Like, right. and I, I, feel I like, think it was a great story, but I don't think it had a whole lot of shelf life. But I also feel like that's one of the things that's missing in today's professional wrestling, where like we don't see a guy break in at the bottom of the card and you follow that wrestler as he works his way up the card. You know, it's like you come in and whatever level Vince sees you at, whether it's main event, mid card or jobber, that's the level you stay at for your entire freaking career. Well, I mean, everyone we've talked about to this point's kind of done that. Well, well um, I mean, Benoit worked his way up. Brett worked his way up. Owen worked his guys. way up. I guess you maybe, you know, probably guys. who got the most handed to him of the people we've talked about so far is Mr. Perfect. Yeah. But you got to love those guys and watching them make that leap. But I feel like as the years went on, the fans kind of got smarter and smarter and were kind of more into the technical. Like they were, would respect Brett. It was like the kind of perfect timing to me. It's like, okay, oh, wow, we respect that guy's putting on great matches. Or he's the one that's making that guy look good. Like, remember back in, in uh, 80, was it 86 or so, uh, Tom McGee thinking that Vince was like, oh, this guy is awesome. He's he's the next big thing. He's the next Hogan. And Pat Patterson's like, talking about Brett? And he's like, no, Tom McGee, of course. He's like, well, Brett carried him in that whole match. So, uh, like, the maturation process. Then even Vince, the owner of the company, who is, you know, millionaire at this point slowly building his empire he didn't even realize it but now i felt like as the years go on people got smarter the fans got smarter like wow this guy is really good or he made the match look good or, or maybe he's calling the match or, or brett versus bulldog it's like bulldog was a little out of it brett did make him look like a million dollars even though he was a little wonky in that match you don't really notice it but you start getting smarter the business They're like yeah damn that guy he's the one well, and it's, uh, the last guy that I remember even seeing that story with that we watched rise all the way up that just gained the fans' respect until the fans got behind him and the fans are the ones that push him up is Daniel Bryan. We haven't had that story since Daniel Bryan. And look, it kind of works. Absolutely. He's very, very high up on my list. I always go... Uh, Bret Hart, Benoit, then Daniel Bryan. And I've obviously got a mixed dynamic kid, like you mentioned, where you got to mix him in there as well. But Daniel Bryan, to me, it's, it's like another guy that ilk. Anybody he has a match with, whether it was from Ring of Honor or whatever indie he was on, moving all the way up to WWE, always had that special quality where he just made the other guy look like a million bucks. Always made the guy look better. And it's funny, you see the, him, you know, this, whoever wrestled, wrestled somebody else, you're like, man, I thought he was better than that. Then you realize, oh, that's right. He wrestled Daniel Bryan, made him look like a million dollars. Even a guy like Kofi, which I know a lot of people love him. It's weird. His best matches against Daniel Bryan, and you know he's been around forever. A lot of other matches don't really stick out, or he's not quite as good against other guys. You realize, oh, shit, Daniel Bryan is the one making him look like a million dollars, getting the best out of him. Yeah, you might be good and have some ability, but has that ability to get the best out of you and make you look like a million dollars. I know Lesnar has good matches with a lot of guys. I don't know when he wrestled 
Brian, you're like, ah, he has no chance. All of a sudden, Brian knows a little tricks of the trade. He knows how to be the good technician, a good worker, and the match is awesome. By the end of the, you know, the end of the match, you're like, oh, great match. You know, you don't even remember that Daniel Bryan is so so much smaller. He just has that suspension of disbelief where, like, man, he's just so good, makes everybody look better. And the thing is, styles make fights. Right. And when you look at somebody like Brock Lesnar, his best matches are against little guys that he can throw around that are complete bump machines. And everybody that we have talked about so far on this list has that capability where they can go out and they can wrestle a lucha style guy. They can wrestle another wrestle another technical wrestler. They can wrestle the big powerhouse because they could adapt their style to whoever their opponent is. Dan Bryan is the master of it. Rick, Just you seem natu- like you naturally, naturally creation, creating motion, and that's what you want. And that's Rick, a, you seem like you disagree, though. Why is that? I, I don't disagree with you here on this. <laughs> I just, you know, it's naturally creating motion and it's being able to complement who you're in there with, which goes back to me is, is I'm kind of weighing this out as we continue on is making your dance partner. How good is that tango? Tina, Brian, man, like again, like the Brett thing, he could wrestle this guy, Triple H, big man earlier in the match. He could wrestle Batista, wrestle Orton differently, but somehow always bring the best out of each guy. And not many guys have that ability to do that. I mean, you, like you say, like, oh, this wrestler is great, but he can only really wrestle a certain style or only really has good matches against these certain guys. Daniel Bryan, really, I mean, he'll go from having a good match with Lesnar, like we're saying, to having a good match with Kofi, who's completely different. Then he'll go to Orton, who's you know more of a kind of, like, not technician, but he's just that crafty kind of veteran, and he knows how to make Orton look at like a million bucks or get a great match out of Orton. And then he'll go to Batista and he'll make Batista look good. It just has that different kind of ability. Or when he had a, a few with Samoa Joe, he can make Samoa Joe look like a million dollars. All these guys are good and capable wrestlers on their own, but he just has the innate ability to make them look even better by timing, his selling, his psychology, no know, knowing where to be, knowing when to be, knowing when to have that comeback, knowing you know, when to kind of be on, on the sell. Dan O'Brien to me is it definitely has got to be considered as the top technician has to be. And I know Dave Meltzer has a, an award named after him for being the, the best technician. So that kind of says something as well. Well, I think again, what you what you guys are listing off here is more kind of eliminates or maybe knocks against a Benoit. Maybe because it wasn't because of opportunities not presented to him, but you know, when did we see him going out there and you know, did we, why are we talking about Sid's best match was that title match against Benoit or, you know, when he switched over and he had some, you know, magnificent run with the Batista or something like that. You, you really didn't see that. Now on that counterpart side of that, I, I think when we're talking about that core group that I think was f- far superior than Chris Benoit was Eddie Guerrero. But again, Eddie could fly. He could get on the mat. He could do every style, and he had charisma and persona. It's because he was so great at all of those things, he, he's thought of in a different light than a Benoit, who we just target on that technical side. Eddie is on my list. I have him down at number eight, though. And I, I feel like the biggest reason for me that I have Eddie down further than Benoit is the psychology aspect. Not that Eddie didn't have that, especially later in his career, 
But when Eddie broke into the North American scene to where we, the American audience, was seeing him, there was still so much Lucha Libre inside of Eddie's psychology, which basically means there was no psychology. Psychology does not seem to exist in the world of Lucha Libre. And while I, I agree with you, Rick, that the latter half of Eddie's career, I think, was actually better than Benoit's. The early part of Benoit's career, I like much more than I do Eddie's. I, I think that you know that might be a preference and style, and I, I think that even speaks Absolutely. to how to how much better Eddie was that he that he eventually that he that he had mastered he learned the those different styles, and then he learned Absolutely. what's called you know the Western craft, and it could translate that even into the Eastern, because I mean they're so different. You know, we talk about it regularly here. I mean, sure, we can talk about sports, but when we're talking about Eastern wrestling, Western wrestling, and Southern wrestling, it's like comparing baseball, football, and basketball. Yeah, they're sports, but they're so different. If people want to see some crazy stuff, man, go back and watch Wild Pegasus and Black Tiger from like, you know, 1994 in New Japan and watch both of those guys just put on absolute clinics in a strong style kind of setting. But even Eddie said that was all Benoit calling the match and leading the psychology so that it made sense, even though it, it was just fantastic well, from both guys. Okay, so he's learning that style, but look how he's picking it up on the fly. That, Absolutely. That he, that he can get in there. And you, say, and you say things to be nice. I feel like you're discrediting Benoit a little bit there, Rick. I mean, he was a... He was the guy, you know what I mean? He's he's the yeah. one carrying the bulk of the match. I, I, I don't know, you know, even going back before the tragedy and, you know, that debate and all that, I, I never was really sold on him. Wow. Is, I, I just seen him as a great mid-card hand. I And I'm with, I'm with you, Rick, because I never felt that emotional attachment to Chris Benoit. Like, I loved watching Chris Benoit, but I never would have called myself a Chris Benoit fan until the latter part of his career. Now, you mentioned Eddie, and I think whenever you mention Eddie or Benoit, you have to mention Dean Malenko, one of the greatest technicians of all time, easily. The man of a thousand holds, yes, of course. He's just, I don't know, one of those guys where, yes, he's the ice man, maybe the charisma, but that's kind of, to me, when you're talking about technicians, that kind of stuff I throw out the window and doesn't matter as much. PWI Wrestler of the Year, 1997, in the possibly hottest year ever in wrestling or, or one of them and they had him at top of the others always always had a good match always brought the best out of somebody else whether the guy was green or not you knew that malenko was going to just make the match look good got to be up there no i have stinko malenko on my list at number 11 and he is another one of those wrestlers that i have a backslash for and the name next to his is chris jericho because Chris Jericho is the only reason that I ever necessarily cared about Dean Malenko. The feud between Jericho and Stinko Malenko absolutely invested me in Dean Malenko, the wrestler. I, he was another one of those guys like Benoit, like, oh, cool, a Malenko match is coming on. I'm going to watch this and I'm going to enjoy the hell of it. But I never tuned in to watch a Stinko Malenko match except when he was feuding with Chris Jericho. Yeah, Adam will take away a, a great technician. Again, I, I think he is probably the poster child for my argument about you focusing in on one aspect because there is nothing else there. 
Well, uh, how about how about the shout out to that entire well, program I, on I, Dynamite that, last that, week? That was that was incredible. That was that was a pop. Oh, I that popped was so good. hard, Jericho. It, oh, I forgot a few. Like that that was great. Right hand punch. Is, is that the, the man, one you forgot? The man of a thousand holds. Or a thousand. Oh, the man letters. of a thousand and four. Oh, I forgot a few. Or he's like, you got? Did he say you got four more on me? <laughs> he said, yeah. I forgot a few. And then, okay. and then Jericho said, I forgot a few. Yeah, so I mean, it, it, that's classic to go back to, to pay homage to it. Uh, but again, when I, I I look at the the time frame that they're in, how wrestling is presented, the opportunities, and and I try to flip flop them to an, another time. Would they? Would have they? What have they shined in that spot? You know, as we're talking about a Benoit, a Malenko, you know, what if an Arn Anderson didn't have to be under the shadow of a, a Ric Flair or something? I mean, to me, when we're looking at those comparisons for technical wrestlers, a perfect dance partner, understanding of storytelling in that ring, logic inside of the match, Arn Anderson's, you know, blows those guys out of the water to me. Well, and also, like, last week we talked a little bit about the Young Bucks, right? And how Rick thinks that the Young Bucks have ruined professional wrestling. But the Young Bucks, when they were in New Japan, they were part of that junior heavyweight tag team division. At best, you're the opening match on the card. Malenko, for most of his career, was stuck in that WCW cruiserweight division, and there was a ceiling, a firm ceiling on Malenko. He was not getting any higher than that. So I, I feel like that absolutely holds him back, too. That, and he had to try to add psychology to wrestling matches with guys like Rey Mysterio before he figured out American style. Juventud Guerrera, La Parca, Psychosis. These guys who had never did anything with any kind of in-ring psychology until they got in the ring with Stinko Malenko. Hey, man, I think, you know, if with Malenko, if his opportunities would have been afforded to Strangler Steve King, we'd be talking about him in this list. I don't disagree. Now, are you putting Arn Anderson in your list, Jargo, now that Rick brought him up? Um, I, I, I hadn't really considered Arn, but I probably should have. Uh, I, I, for me, for some reason, when I think of Arn, I think of him as a tag team wrestler. And I know that I shouldn't. I just do like to me, Arn is quite possibly one of the greatest tag team wrestlers of all time, but I never think about his solo career inside of that context. And I probably should, but I don't. Who else? Who's next on your list? Wait, I'm going to make a guess because I know you're a new Japan, Mark. I know you're going to say Zach Sabre Jr. You do have a copy of my list, don't you? He is Submission Master. He is Zack Sabre Jr. He's Zack Sabre Jr. is incredible. And I think one of the biggest reasons he's so far down on the list is, number one, he works in Japan, and there's still a lot of people who have never seen a Zack Sabre Jr. match. And the other thing that works against him is, and while I love him to death, the Ayatollah himself, Ben Hameen, who I will never forget when he hit me up one day and he's like, explain Zack Sabre Jr. to me because he just think he sees a guy who's 170 pounds and he's like, I, I, I should slap this guy and he's dead. 
what he doesn't realize is that's exactly what happens during Zack Sabre Jr. matches. He stretches you, he, he twists you in like 18 different directions. You chop him once and he's dead for five minutes. That's the way a Zack Sabre Jr. match works. He, he knows his size, but his size absolutely holds him back too. A, a couple of years ago when New Japan was pushing Zack Sabre Jr. to the moon, I thought he was actually going to take over for another guy on my list backslash Minoru Suzuki because I thought we were, I thought we were on pace for Saber Goon. And now it seems as though they're going in the direction of Tai Chi rather than going with another Gaijin leading a stable. But I think Zack Saber Jr. If his biggest uh, exposure was not being stuck in the mid card of new Japan pro wrestling, he would absolutely be even higher on this list. I have him at number five. Wow, damn. And Rick has never heard of him or seen him wrestle. Never. I knew you were going to say it. Damn it. Come on, oh, Rick. Come on, I Rick. I know for a fact you've seen plenty of Zack Sabre Jr. matches I, I because have. we've talked about him. Rick, I, what do you I, think about him? I think, you know, my biggest thing here, again, you really have to understand the styles. And that's I'm a complete expert on it, but I've been exposed to it. I've sat under the learning tree that I understand, you know, what he brings what his style is. My only knock would be is just let's have this conversation again in five years. The thing with uh, Zach is well, it's let's so hope, weird. Let's hopefully, let's hopefully be able to have this conversation again in five years where he has a body of work to add to it. I, Zach's thing is people, you have to watch a lot of Zach Sabre Jr. in order to get Zach Sabre Jr. Because his entire style is built off of leverage. And you have to understand those leverage points. And you don't get that out of just watching one 12-minute Zack Sabre Jr. match. You've got to watch 20 20-minute 20 Zack Sabre Jr. matches to have an appreciation for what it is he's doing. And it takes a body of work. But, you know, for someone, you know, myself, of what I look into in professional wrestling, I'm going to need to see uh, watch a year of his matches so I can get that story that I want. Because that's what you that's what you get from that style. Where necessarily where, yeah, you know, where Ben Wall might went out and had a year of great matches, none of them might be tied together when I get to, you know, from January to December, or when they come full circle, where it was Zach Sabre Jr., they're gonna be great matches like that. You can just turn on a wrestling match and enjoy it. But if you pay attention, you're gonna get a long everything's gonna come full circle for you. Yeah, especially as he's wrestling somebody for the third or fourth time and he goes back to something that worked in the first match and then he'll try something from the third match and now the guy has it figured out. And there, there's just so much that goes into a, a Zack Sabre Jr. story arc that you have to really sit down and have the appreciation for. Well, you his know, style is definitely like, oh, sorry, Rick, I was going to give one second. His style is almost like that Daniel Bryan indie style, not part of Nigel McGuinness's game, but he ramps it up like big. He, to he, 11. He, yeah, he takes the whole match and makes it submissions and stuff. Well, I was just going to toss it, you know, with the difference in the storytelling, and I, I'm not really saying one's over the other, but, you know, in the West, we've got that comic book motion picture storytelling where in the East, it's a chess game. So you have to be able to sit back and be able to, you know, understand the moves and really, you know, watch the, the fine little nuances that they're presenting to you. What about Murder Grandpa? Does Murder Grandpa make your list, Rick? Minoru Suzuki, does he does he make the list that, of uh, greatest technical in-ring performers? That would surprise me when he dropped a the comparison there because, you know, again, it's 
you know, really, what, what do you think when you hear that name? Mizuki, you think of violence. You know, yeah, hard-hitting. Someone's... He, he is basically the godfather of what we know as the UFC now. I mean, without pain grace, I, I'm not sure that UFC ever even exists. I, again, so I mean, that takes you to that gladiator feel where it's more about the violence than I would think like an amateur style. Paz, so what I, about you? Does Suzuki make your list? He didn't make my list, but it makes sense. I could see him being on it, though, for sure. He definitely created a style popularized this style that that they still you know a lot of people still use today blood sport josh barnett's blood sport obviously king of barnett former king of pancreas you know where he kind of absorbed that from but uh for sure yeah, he could definitely be on that list wasn't on mine but you're making a strong point a strong case that he should have been on that list but jargo who else is on there well i was going to say i consider minoru suzuki inside the same context as the next guy on my list kurt freaking Eagle. Wait where you guys are at on this. I've got Kurt Angle at number six. Uh, When it comes to technical wrestling, I mean, how do you not put an Olympic gold medalist on the list, right? For some reason, for me, I always thought he was one step below Benoit. I know Olympic gold medalist, but pro wrestling is different than amateur wrestling. And there's just a little bit of a psychology. And, and I interviewed Kurt not that long ago. He said it. Didn't quite get the psychology until about 2006, 2007. So, I mean, that's seven years into the business, which makes sense. Because a lot of guys say that it takes a while to get the psychology. But to me, I always thought he was a step behind on the technician to a guy like Benoit. Although they matched up great together. They had awesome matches together. I always kind of thought that later on in Angle's career, I kind of thought, why well, he, he re- really gets it. I mean, he, what a you know masterful technician. But I always kind of thought he got a lump in the first part and the second part, and he was always just a step behind uh, Benoit for me. But, I mean, of course, Angle, one of the all-time best. And not only a great technician, he could also throw in the comedy, throw in the athleticism, do a crazy moonsault that uh, you know a guy his size, being, what, 225, 230, shouldn't be able to do it that smooth and masterful you could see like rick's girlfriend charlotte flair who has that that you know kind of that skinny athletic body okay she could do that great but kurt he's, he's a big guy he's got big legs he's, he's a little bulky how the hell do you did that smooth on the damn uh moonsault but crazy athleticism and obviously one of the greatest technicians more importantly why did he keep going for the moonsault i mean what was his moonsault conversion ratio like maybe 33 <laughs> percent. it just looked good Hey, when he did land it, though, it wowed you. It was impactful. But Hell, when he missed it, it wowed me, and it yeah, was impactful. Yeah. And I think on the other side, as I'm talking about people that we look at, that's all they had. I have a feeling that Kirk's down on your guys' list and on many other people's list because Kirk didn't necessarily have to go to that in the game plan every single time. Pause, as you said, he was so dynamic. He could He could go power. He could go high flyer. Ultimately, he could go entertaining. You know, any emotion that you needed to grab from Kurt or grab from the audience, he could get, he could project that and he could pull that in. Kurt entered this thing as an Olympic champion. Guy go out there and, and I, you hear the stories coming in. He's like, well, I can't lose that guy. And they're like, well, we need you to, you know, we understand, but in this world, these are larger than life characters. You know, they are bigger than you here. So, I mean, it, there was just a little bit of that learning process. Paz, you've heard over and over, you know, Kurt's coming in, the, the training process, what he went through. 
and how natural he was, you know, picking things up so fast. But obviously there's going to be years after you really feel that you perfected your craft. But Kurt, on so many levels, he about damn near protect, you know, perfected all of the qualities you want. And that's why I got him up very near the top of my list. You know, when I'm talking about someone that could go out there, turn it on when they want it, but also had every like that full package and go out there and make anyone and everyone look great. And, you know, a lot of the things with Kurt, you know, we remember because, I mean, it's just that grand stage in the WWF. He had a hell of a run in TNA Impact Wrestling. His run in TNA was longer than his run in the WWF. I think people forget that. I think it was better. Yeah, much better. But, Rick, you you said something I thought was very important there, that, you know, Kurt could turn it on and go. I thought the thing that was the smartest about Kurt Angle was he also knew when to back off a little bit. He, He knew when to pull back a little bit and bring in the comedy aspects, like Paz was saying, and maybe reach a different segment of the audience. So where, you know, I'm more of a technical guy, Kurt could do that. Rick's more of a character guy. He could do that. We know some people that I inexplicably don't understand that enjoy comedy in their wrestling. Kurt could do that. He, he was kind of a, a jack of all trades and master of all of them. So who else? I guess Jargo. I don't know if, Rick, you have a, a big list like Jargo here, but who else is on your list, Dr. Jargo? I guarantee you, you would not have guessed this one because number seven, I have two names because they kind of go together, Rob Van Dam and Jerry Lynn. I challenge anybody to go back and watch some of those ECW matches when those two guys were going after, well, Rob had the world TV title and Jerry Lynn wanted it and the series of matches that they had. Those two guys in the ring together are some of the biggest technical masterpieces that you're ever going to see, let alone in a hardcore setting. Great matches. They they could bring variety of styles as well. I I can't remember where it was yesterday. Someone had talked about, uh, I think they were trying to compare Jerry Lynn, Rob Van Dam with Kenny Omega, and I about crapped my pants that they were even in the same conversations. Only against Okada. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, there was a method to their madness. There, there was a flow, a presentation that, you, you know, where a lot of people they look at, the, you know, the great cruisers or, the, you know, the people like Van Dam that look like it was just reckless abandonment. No, it, it, they were so good at what they did. It looked that way. There, you know, many ways they, without the proper training, they inspired these people to just go believe they could go out there. And that's what was actually happening. No, it, they were so technically sound. That it, it it came off that way. That's how it was supposed to look. It was it was crisp but raw. It was what professional wrestling was supposed to be, uh, and somehow they've lost that in transition. So much going on today. I like those picks. Uh, it, this is kind of a crazy one. Uh, you talk about the the tremendous background, but realize later on, man, he became so so strong with his character. And he realized that he that at times could use more of the violence, the Iron Sheik. Ooh, that is a good one. That is a good one. I like that one a lot. Sheiky baby could go. And, and yes. there's a lot of people, people that did not that. necessarily realize that because Sheiky baby wasn't on, you know, that big stage until the latter parts of his career when he could barely freaking move. Yeah, I mean, with the understanding, you know, and how he'd still flow in there with his holds. And you you talk about really selling for a partner. 
And you talk about a guy that could turn it on when he needed to. We brought that up with Kurt Sheik back in the day when he needed to turn it up and get that heat. Good luck finding somebody better at it than Sheik. And with Sheik, too, people always kind of think like, oh, Sheiky baby, I'm going to make you humble. Brian Blair, I'm going to fuck you in the ass. All, all that kind of stuff. But he's just a great technical wrestler who helped a lot of guys like when they needed to be trained or taught the basic, taught the fundamentals. He would teach them how to wrestle wrestle. I mean, really show them the technical side of, of wrestling. And he is still the best follow in the history of Twitter. Sheiky baby 2021 still living in the world of kayfabe. Go fuck yourself, Jabroni. <laughs> Who else you got on that list, Jargo? Um, just a couple more names that I've got on the list. I do have uh, the Nature Boy Ric Flair. He has to be on on anybody's list when it comes to his technical prowess and making his opponents look good. And then the only other name that I have on the list is to go back and kick it old school, Luthez. Luthez was an absolute in-ring technician, and I feel bad for people that have only heard the name Luthez and never actually went back and tried to find any of those matches because they still hold up in 2021. Yeah, I, I thought about going that old school with those things because it is so cool. I mean, if you could put yourself oh. in that in that era, in that setting, uh, I guess maybe my elimination – and I can't speak to you know what was what was happening the conversations in the locker room then and how they're manipulating the territories, but you know it was it more about dominance for Thez than it was making other people look good, and you know the the kind of the the set down the the drawn out bouts that you had. Uh, one of the names I'm surprised that we could say kind of in you know before the WrestleMania era that was revered is Bachwinkle that we haven't talked about. Well, just to, just to hit on what you were saying there about Fez, just to, for a second, you bring up those like marathon matches that he was going out there and having. And yes, Lou Fez might go over, but if you could go out there and you could go 40 minutes with Lou Fez, you got over in the loss too. And, and I don't think that we can express that enough. You could really elevate your stock by going out there and just having a good match with Lou Fez. Well, I just think it'd, it'd be really interesting. Possibly be something perfect for you. You know, you get the legends you get to sit down with, and not that they would know firsthand, but yeah, I'm sure they've had. You know, that they were taught this. You know, what were the conversations like back then going out? And, and I'm, you know, obviously there were, but you, you know, you had the era of the shooters. You didn't, you really couldn't really trust anybody in those times. You're looking for, you're always looking for that double cross because you could ultimately be destroyed. Territories are very cutthroat. But if you had someone coming in, would someone like that level of a, of a Luthez say, "Okay, kid, we're gonna go out here. I'm gonna I'm gonna work you for for 40 minutes, but I'm gonna let you get 19 of 19 minutes in, and I'm gonna come back and get you in that last minute and tap you or something, so that you did have that kind of that shine. So you knew he did have that young kid that maybe, hey, you know, he goes to the next town, a few towns over, a territory over, and they're like, hey, this guy, he went he, he went 59 minutes with this, you know, or he got in the last well, minute he got picked off. And, and, and I, I bring up Ric Flair and Luthez in the same breath because it was kind of the same thing, right? I mean, Rick could go out and do a 60-minute Broadway twice on Sunday. Rick made yeah. everybody look good. The quintessential, he can wrestle a, a broomstick and make the broomstick look good. He was, he was that damn good. Absolutely. Not sure if Jargo froze right there, but he's, he's back, back. better than ever. He's back and better than ever. But Flair definitely 
has that quality where he just makes everybody look better in him. And when you think of Flair, you got to mention Steamboat to me, Ricky Steamboat, one of the greatest technical wrestlers of all time. And that feud is possibly, uh, arguably, the greatest feud of all time. When you get those two masters in there together and that feud hits, it's just uh, magic. Epic feuds, epic matches, awesome stuff. Flair, though, could make anybody really, really look good. I think Steamboat had that same quality. Pause completely off the topic. And I guess we could bring up Kazuchika Okada at this point um, and and bring him up as as the technical magician that he is, even though people don't necessarily realize it. Um, Which do you prefer, Okada Omega in the trilogy that they had or Flair Steamboat and the trilogy that they had? Which do you prefer? So Okada Omega isn't even my best or favorite Okada feud or trilogy or whatever you want to say, or feud, really. So I'll go Flair Steamboat's my favorite ever, but then I like Okada Tanahashi. Ooh, okay. I, I, I can't dispute that. Okada Omega is awesome, and I love all those matches, and they're great, but I don't know, something about Tanahashi Okada, there was more emotion to it and a little less about the athleticism. And, you know, it was more about, like, they really wanted to win. Okada was – you can have that sense, like, oh, I can't believe I lost to this guy. I, I thought I was the next guy, and oh, when am I going to knock this guy off the perch? Like, that, you get that kind of feeling. It was a really cool story if you're really paying attention to it. And Tanahashi's got to be considered on this list, too. Maybe, Absolutely. Maybe now a little older, a little injured, but just awesome all the way around. Made everybody look good. The, the, the funny thing about Tanahashi is as Tanahashi has gotten older and his body has gotten more beat up and he can't move nearly as well, he's actually become a better professional wrestler because of his in-ring psychology and just knowing where he needs to be adapting his style. And it forced him to slow down just a little bit. Like, we don't need 15 high-fly flows in one match. Uh, the, the thing with Okada is – just freaking incredible how good that guy is the styles that he can work and it's the timing it, we when we think of technical wrestlers you know we like to think of guys like zach saber jr dean malenko that are, are these technical wizards but at the very beginning of the show you brought up one of the most important things of all of professional wrestling being in the right place at the right time and just knowing how to pace things out And Kazuchika Okada is just absolutely insane when it comes to his timing. Every little thing that that guy does. I watched a match with him the other day, and I noticed he's just kind of waving his legs at one and two before at three he can finally get up enough momentum to get that shoulder up. Just the little details, the technical aspects of professional wrestling that that guy understands. Unfortunately, he goes all the way down to the bottom of my list because the money clip is the worst submission in the history of professional wrestling. It the modified STF. Awful. It's so bad. If you want a freaking submission move so bad, just go back to Red Ink. Because the money clip is awful. You got to go to the back to the, the modified STF or the... Uh... Um, yep, the red ink. The red ink. I'm sorry, I just forgot. For a the red ink. The modified STF was was a great finish. The money clip. It's awful. Not so much. It's awful. The only thing that's good about it is you can transition it into a rainmaker real quick and in a hurry because you already have wrist control. But it is an awful looking submission. Like my and like all of last summer, he was obsessed with it. 
It's like, just clothesline this motherfucker. You're not going to tap him out. We all know it. It's the worst looking submission move ever. Just clothesline this bastard. Just please take Evil's head, knock it into the third row, and pin the son of a bitch. Nope. Got to try to tap him out again. No, don't. Just clothesline him. Oh, Rick, so Rick who else is on the list there, Rick? Who else you got? I'm kind of, you know, it just, when we talk about those greats, I think we've, we've hit so many tremendous names. Uh, but I hope, you know, that it, it really inspires people to go pay attention a little bit more instead of watching, you know, just the, the, the spots and watch the subtlety, how they're moving with one another. And it, it really changes a perspective of, you know, how you, that you consume the match yourself. So uh, I'm really just thinking about going back, especially in the territory days, uh, you know, just so many great guys that are working on that mid card that will, you know, when it really, the big term will be forgotten. Uh, but really understood and knew how to really, you know, work an audience, work a style, take care of a partner. Hell, I'd be remiss. We got to give him a shout out here. One of the best to go out there and get the biggest reactions, could work any style. It's our own. It's fucking rotten. Rip Rogers. Uh, and yeah. you look at, you know, and he turns and he turns and teaches that to others. Dr. Tom, the same thing, you know, a, a journeyman that could go out there and do anything and look tremendous doing it. Chargo, who else is on that list? I totally agree with Rip and Dr. Tom. Totally. Um, I have I have two more names, and of course they're they're both Japanese because you know screw you people in your American wrestling. Uh, number one, Katsutori Shibata. Uh, Shibata, when he was healthy, was the wrestler's wrestler. That guy would go out. He very Chris Benoit, wouldn't you say? Pause. Would you put yes. Shibata kind of in that Chris Benoit category? Hundred percent, the wrestler. Yes, hundred percent. Uh, the, the only bad thing about Shibana is I will never forget the sound of his skull cracking when he gave Kazuchika Okada a headbutt. Um, and that has basically completely ruined Shibata matches for me. I can't even go back and watch them now. I, that sound was just deafening. Uh, Rick, did you ever get to really watch any Shibata matches? I know I, you got into New Japan, but it, it was after that run wasn't it yeah it was it was more of going back and, and you giving me some spots to watch uh you know this is where you're going to learn some things so i get to see a little a handful of sampling uh but not really there to experience it when see the magic while it was happening uh, and that kind of ended his career yeah it did uh it permanently ended his career um he keeps training for a comeback and i hope it never happens because he is one of those guys, much like Daniel Bryan for me, that if Shibata was in the ring, I would be forced to watch it, but I would be sitting on the edge of my seat just waiting for something to go terribly, terribly wrong the entire time that he was in the ring. I mean, his brain literally bleeds from that headbutt, and, and that's not something that is ever going to be able to be solved. Who was the last guy on the list? The last guy on my list is a guy that nobody would put on the list, but, of course, he's my favorite professional wrestler. His name is Tyler Breeze. And why is Tyler Breeze on this list? Because we talk about making your opponents look good. He made Jushin Thunder Liger a WWE Hall of Famer in one match. One match is all. That I thought you said you're going needed. with two Japanese guys. What happened? Well, because the real answer is Jushin Thunder Liger. Uh, Jushin Thunder Liger. Nice brought that technical style uh, to the junior heavyweight division. 
Uh, and we saw it in WCW in the cruiserweight division. Hell, he had a match with Minoru Suzuki in pain craze. Now, yes, Suzuki tapped him out and tapped him out pretty easily. But, it, it, you know, it's like, who would think that Jushin Thunder Liger would go out for an MMA fight against somebody like Minoru Suzuki? But you go back and you watch like a lot of the 1994 J-Cup and that era of Jushin Thunder Liger, he realized if I can ground these cruiserweights, if I can ground the junior heavyweights, then I can hit all of my high-powered offense. And he incorporated a lot of that technical style into his junior heavyweight style. And that was something that we had never seen before. I think Liger absolutely belongs on this list. You agree, Rick? I, I, I do, and is it's we're sitting here kind of. I can't believe these weren't mentioned, and I'm thinking we're covering what 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 regions of the globe. Uh, and I know we talked about Zack Sabre Jr., but he's more you know thought of Japan and all that. But Pitt uh, Pinley and William Regal. Yeah, I, really, yeah. just the, the entire UK style, the catches can style, kind of belongs on the list. I mean, they're, they're every. European professional wrestler seems to have that element in their game, especially in a modern context. Now, a few guys that we didn't mention that I wanted to mention, we're going back. It's old school guys. Got to mention Dory Funk Jr. Awesome. If you haven't gone back, go back and watch this awesome feud. Jack Briscoe, another guy. I like, I have some old tapes that convert them wow. to DVDs. I, I like going back that one. and watching those matches still hold up. I and mean, we're talking about 1969, 73, like that, that, that period. I mean, still hold up great, great technical wrestling, great technical prowess. And just to throw out another guy, Harley race, I feel like was a great race. technician and a master uh, of, of his craft is for sure. Those guys, just as far as being old school guys, always stood out to me, different kind of technician. And I know he's more of a high flyer, but always was, it was good. Just throw him out there. Cause I love him. Ray Mysterio jr. Just he's always kind of on my list. Just and then he's like, I thought you're a traditional technician, but he kind of knew how to work that high flying style into the technician side of things. And I always felt like he was there. Uh, I mentioned Okada and Tanahashi. I actually thought Jargo, and I don't put him in the technician category. I put him more of a good worker category. I thought you were going to go Kenny Omega for a minute because you started talking about New Japan, but I don't put him in the technician category. All right, now you that know, weird fate, that weird made fate, that weird face I just made is because I, I wouldn't put him anywhere near either of those categories. <laughs> oh, I, damn! I, I barely put him in a category of professional wrestler. <laughs> all, right, all right, settle down there, slap nuts. Um, I love Kenny, but at this point, as I'm looking at the entirety of Kenny's career, it was really, really hot for about two to three years. And then you have to look at the rest of the career too. Yeah. And I, at, at this point, I, I'm getting ready to do uh, kind of like a fantasy football draft, but for professional wrestling. And uh, one of the groups that I'm in over on Facebook, I told the admin I'd help him out and come in and do that. Where would Kenny Omega even land today? He, he He's not in my first round. He's not in my second round. I mean, hell, I'm not even sure inside of the Bullet Club, if you want to say Bullet Club is for life, that he's even in the top three there because you got to, I, I think Devitt is better. And I think Switchblade, who is a name that we're not talking about today, but we probably could. 
And I have said often that Switchblade Jay White might be the best counter wrestler I've ever seen. He has a counter for everything. And if that's not technical prowess, I don't know what is. So do you think we got to everybody on the list as far as every name? I mean, I just threw out some old school guys, but and then I threw in a little sprinkle of Mysterio. But what do you, what do you guys think? Did we, did we get to everybody? Is anybody we missed? Uh, I th- there was a name that we had mentioned, uh, but didn't talk about how great he was technically as a performer. And what they were doing out on the West Coast is Pat Patterson himself. Right. Uh, and then look, I mean, look what the, I mean, the ultimate finish guy, you know, the inside WWE, the guy they turned to to put matches together. I mean, if you don't deserve, if you don't belong in a conversation for greatest technical wrestler, you know, the same was with Stu Hart, you know, maybe because we haven't seen a lot of what he did, you know, on the West Coast, you know, in that territory. But obviously, how, how great it, it just, it, it, the root spread throughout professional wrestling. Yeah, I'm trying to think if I've ever seen a Pat Patterson match that was like pre Stooge era. I mean, like we all saw him when he was in the ring in like the 90s, but I don't think I've ever like went back and watched like in uh, when he was in his prime kind of Pat Patterson. Man, when they're yeah, out there killing it on the, when they're out there on the West Coast, I mean, you know, yeah, they're very innovative. I mean, that was really the rest of the country was seeing what they're doing out there, and it was taking root. Is that on? Or I mean, not anymore. It's not on the network. But was that on the network? And if not, pause. Who owns all that footage? That I would love to know because I don't think it's on the network, and I'm not sure who owns it. I've I, I've run into it just here and there in weird little clips and videos online. I haven't actually seen entire shows or anything of it. I wonder just who to, owns that library. Yeah, I would love to find that, kind of figure that out, definitely. Uh, just one other name I want to throw out there, often forgotten. Bobby was one of the best. Beautiful, Beautiful Bobby. Bobby. I think he's one of those. I was kind of in my mind going through some of those tag teams. But as Jargo kind of said with Arn Anderson, unfortunately, you kind of get labeled into that different category where that becomes more of your prominent style. And and that's not a knock, I'm sure, in any way when Jargo's saying it, because it, it's such it's such an incredible art form inside of itself. Absolutely. Hey, which, yeah, which no. is probably another great who is topic. Yeah. Yes, very, very true. Now, as far as kind of everybody, we, we named quite a few, more than 12. We named uh, a bunch of guys here who could be the greatest technician. Rick, who's your final verdict? Who's the greatest technician of all time? Yeah, you know, coming in this thing, I, I really wanted to make, you know, and I think he's, I, I think he doesn't get a lot of credit when we talk about greats of all time. I really want to make one for Kurt Angle. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, it, it, it ends where we started. And it's probably the excellence of execution, Bret Hart. Jargo, the doctor. The best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be, Bret the Hitman Hart. Damn it, Jargo, you called it. I don't know how, but you were right because Rick is a wild card. But yes, Bret Hart, without a doubt. He is the first name I wrote down, the first guy I think of when I think of the greatest technician of all time. Best there is, best there was, best there ever will be. The I, I, was, execution, I was damn set on sticking to Kurt Angle. But and you got the thing is, me. the closest thing to Brett that I can think of is Owen. 
So well, I mean, I mean, it makes sense. Uh, I, this this little fun spinoff conversation, uh, I actually is is kind of preparing today for this. I'm going through just get some different opinions on this, and and somebody had had said that you know un, unpopular opinion or whatever. I hate what people say. Just just say what you want to say. They, they had said that Kurt Angle was better than Bret Hart, and I'd already had this on my mind, but I just happened to see this, and then I really started thinking about. Can you imagine if if their past could have crossed, especially when you had America versus the Hart Foundation slash the world? If you could have had Kurt Angle over there with the Patriot, you know, taking on the, you know, the Hart Foundation give, and give oh, me Team Angle versus the Hart Foundation, like Survivor Series style, that would have been awesome. Who would you have on Team Angle? Well, you'd have to go with Kurt. You'd have to go with Shelton. Oh, so you're going to you're go, gonna go with the true like, one. Yeah, go with Team Angle versus the Hart. See, I, I need some. I need some American heroes in there. I, I need the Patriot in there. And I don't know who the other one would be, but throw them in. There. Oh man, yeah, that would have been cool. Throw in Tom Brandy cool. and Del Wilkes. Throw them both in there. Hell yeah, both very nice. Uh, both the Patriot, of course. But I think uh, that's pretty succinct. I think that's a great way to end it. Bret Hart is definitely the greatest technician of all time. We all agree. And I think everybody listening should agree if they don't. But uh, obviously, a lot of great technicians throughout the history of the business. Why don't we head over on to the plugs? RBV, what do you got? But say uh, if they don't agree, well, technically they're wrong. <laughs> but hey, uh, this week coming up. Hey, if, if you want some uh, good past listening, Ben Hamid and myself had awesome conversation uh, about you know, ins and outs of the mindsets of getting into pro wrestling, strategies and, and promotions uh, and all that. That's the Monday Locker Room. You can get that on the Hamid Media Group, Patreon, patreon.com backslash Hamid Media Group. That's going to be listed free. While you're there, subscribe to one of the tiers. Pick up all that great content that we have available. A lot of exclusives right there for you. Looking forward to uh, sitting down with Rad Rob. I think we're sitting out Wednesday night for his retro show. We're going to be talking about the the history, the evolution of fast food in America. Yeah, outside of talking pro wrestling, wow. uh, foodie talk is my favorite. So I, I'm really geared up. I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, of course, you know everything we've got at the two man power trip to Patreon, Patreon.com backslash TMPT Empire. Speaking of Ben, uh, Ray. Crazy reviews over your guys' last Pro Wrestling 101. So that's over on the Realm Network, correct? They can pick that up there. Uh, so dude, we're all over the place, right? Yeah, definitely, for sure. Jargo, what do you got? He's got the sweet uh, one. Rather than plugging myself and putting myself over this week, um, I'm going to direct people over to Fight TV. Uh, over the course of this weekend, I had the pleasure to sit down and watch the Hannah Kimura tribute show. Uh, that aired from Cork and Hall. It's called Matane, which in Japanese means see you later. Okay, nice. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. Check out the website tmptempire.com and like RBV said, Patreon, patreon.com slash tmptempire. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. And we'll see you right back here next week for Who Is? Right here on the Two Man Power Trip. See you next week, folks. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. 
You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron and also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies, brother. <laughs>